Chapter 15, Early Constructive Work of the Open Conspiracy In such terms, we may sketch the practicable and possible opening phase of the open conspiracy. We do not present it as a movement initiated by any individual or radiating from any particular center. In this book, we are not starting something. We are describing and participating in something which has started. It arises naturally and necessarily from the present increase of knowledge and the broadening outlook of many minds throughout the world, and gradually it becomes conscious of itself. It is reasonable, therefore, to anticipate its appearance all over the world in sporadic, mutually independent groupings and movements, and to recognize not only that they will be extremely various, but that many of them will trail with them racial and regional habits and characteristics, which will only be shaken off as its cosmopolitan character becomes imperatively evident. The passage from the partial anticipations of the open conspiracy that already abound everywhere to its complete and completely self-conscious statement may be made by almost imperceptible degrees. Today, it may seem no more than a visionary idea. Tomorrow, it may be realized as a worldwide force of opinion and will. People will pass with no regret, with no great inconsistency from saying that the open conspiracy is impossible to saying that it has always been plain and clear to them that to this fashion they have shaped their lives as long as they can remember. In its opening phase, in the day of small things, quite minor accidents may help or delay the clear definition and popularization of its main ideas. The changing pattern of public events may disperse or concentrate attention upon it, or it may win the early adherence of men of exceptional resources, energy, or ability. It is impossible to foretell the speed of its advance. Its development may be slower or faster, direct or devious, but the logic of accumulating realizations thrusts it forward, will persist in thrusting it on, and sooner or later it will be discovered, conscious and potent, the working religion of most sane and energetic people. Meanwhile, our supreme virtues must be faith and persistence. So far, we have considered only two of the main activities of the open conspiracy, the one being its propaganda of confidence in the possible world commonwealth, and the other, its immediate practical attempts to systemize resistance to militant and competitive imperialism and nationalism. But such things are merely its groundwork undertakings. They do no more than clear the sight and make the atmosphere possible 
for its organized, constructive efforts. Directly, we turn to that. We turn to questions of special knowledge, special effort, and special organization. Let us consider first the general advancement of science, the protection and support of scientific research, and the diffusion of scientific knowledge. These things fall within the normal scheme of duty for the members of the open conspiracy. The world of science and experiment is the region of origin of nearly all the great initiatives that characterize our times. The open conspiracy owes its inspiration, its existence, its form and direction entirely to the changes of condition these initiatives have brought about. And yet, a large number of scientific workers live outside the sphere of sympathy in which we may expect the open conspiracy to materialize, and collectively their political and social influence upon the community is extraordinarily small. Having regard to the immensity of its contributions and the incalculable value of its promise to the modern community, science, research, that is, and the diffusion of scientific knowledge is extraordinarily neglected, starved, and threatened by hostile interference. This is largely because scientific work has no strong unifying organization and cannot in itself develop such an organization. Science is a hard mistress, and the first condition of successful scientific work is that the scientific man should stick to his research. The world of science is therefore in itself, at its core, a miscellany of specialists, often very ungracious specialists, and rather than offer him help and cooperation, it calls for understanding, tolerance, and service from the man of more general intelligence and wider purpose. The company of scientific men is less, less like a host of guiding angels than like a swarm of marvelous bees, endowed with stings which must be hived and cherished and multiplied by the open conspiracy. But so soon as we have the open conspiracy at work, putting its case plainly and offering its developing ideas and activities to those most preciously preoccupied men, then reasonably, when it involves no special trouble for them, when it is the line of least resistance for them, they may be expected to fall in with its convenient and helpful aims and find in it what they have hitherto lacked, a common system of political and social concepts to hold them together. When that stage is reached, we shall be saved such spectacles of intellectual prostitution as the last great war offered. When men of science were herded blinking from their laboratories to curse one another 
upon nationalist lines. And when after the war, stupid and wicked barriers were set up to the free communication of knowledge by the exclusion of scientific men of this or that nationality from international scientific gatherings. The open conspiracy must help the man of science to realize what at present he fails most astonishingly to realize that he belongs to a greater comedy than any king or president represents today, and so prepare him for better behavior in the next season of trial. The formation of groups in, and not only in, but about and in relation to the scientific world, which will add to those first main activities of the open conspiracy, propaganda, and pacifism, a special attention to the needs of scientific work may be enlarged upon with advantage here, because it will illustrate quite typically the idea of a special work carried on in relation to a general activity, which is the subject of this section. The open conspiracy extends its invitation to all sorts and conditions of men, but the service of scientific progress is for those only who are specially equipped or who are sufficiently interested to equip themselves. For scientific work, there is first of all a great need of endowment and the setting up of laboratories, observatories, experimental stations, and the like in all parts of the world. Numbers of men and women capable of scientific work never achieve it for want of the stimulus of opportunity afforded by endowment. Few contrive to create their own opportunities. The essential man of science is very rarely an able collector or administrator of money. And anyhow, the detailed work of organization is a grave call upon his special mental energy. But many men capable of a broad and intelligent appreciation of scientific work but not capable of the peculiar intensities of research, have the gift of extracting money from private and public sources, and it is for them to use that gift modestly and generously in providing the framework for those who are more especially endowed. And there is already a steadily increasing need for the proper storage and indexing of scientific results, and every fresh worker enhances it. Quite a considerable amount of scientific work goes fruitless or is needlessly repeated because of the growing volume of publication. And men make discoveries in the field of reality only to lose them again in the lumber room of record. Here is a second line of activity to which the open conspirator, with scientific bias, may direct his attention. A third line is the liaison work between the man of science and the common intelligent man, the promotion of publications 
which will either state the substance, implications, and consequences of new work in the vulgar tongue, or, if that is impossible, train the general run of people to the new idioms and technicalities which need to be incorporated with the vulgar tongue if it is still to serve its ends as a means of intellectual intercourse. Through special ad hoc organizations, societies for the promotion of research, for research defense, for world indexing, for the translation of scientific papers, for the diffusion of new knowledge, the surplus energies of a great number of open conspirators can be directed to entirely creative ends and a new world system of scientific work built up within which such dear old institutions as the Royal Society of London, the various European academies of science and the like, now overgrown and inadequate, can maintain their venerable, venerable pride in themselves, their mellowing prestige, and their distinguished exclusiveness without their present privilege of inflicting cramping sights excuse me, cramping slights and restrictions upon the more abundant scientific activities of today. So, in relation to science, and here the word is being used in its narrower accepted me meaning for what is often spoken of as pure science, the search for physical and biological realities uncomplicated by moral social and practical considerations, we evoke a conception of the open conspiracy as producing groups of socially associated individuals who engage primarily in the general basic activities of the conspiracy and adhere to and promote the seven broad principles summarized at the end of chapter 14 but who work also with the larger part of their energies through international and cosmopolitan societies and in a multitude of special ways for the establishment of an enduring and progressive world organization of pure research. They will have come to this special work because their distinctive gifts, their inclinations, their positions and opportunities have indicated it as theirs. Now a very parallel system of open conspiracy groups is conceivable in relation to business and industrial life. It would necessarily be a vastly bulkier and more heterogeneous system of groups, but otherwise the analogy is complete. Here we imagine those people whose gifts, inclinations, positions, and opportunities as directors, workers, or associates give them an exceptional insight into and influence in the processes of producing and distributing commodities can also be drawn together into groups within the open conspiracy. But these groups will be concerned with the huge and more complicated problems of the processes 
by which even now the small, isolated, individual adventures in production and trading that constituted the economic life of former civilizations are giving place to larger, better instructed, better planned industrial organizations whose operations and combinations become at last worldwide. The amalgamations and combinations, the substitution of large-scale business for multitudes of small-scale businesses which are going on now, go on with all the cruelty and disregards of a natural process. If a man is to profit and survive, these unconscious blunderings, which now stagger towards, but which may never attain world organization, must be watched, controlled, mastered, and directed. As uncertainty diminishes, the quality of adventure and the amount of waste diminish also, and large speculative profits are no longer possible or justifiable. The transition from speculative adventure to organized foresight in the common interest in the whole world of economic life is the substantial task of the open conspiracy. And it is these specially interested and equipped groups, and not the movement as a whole, which may best begin the attack upon these fundamental readjustments. The various socialist movements of the 19th and early 20th centuries had this in common, that they sought to replace the private owner in most or all economic interests by some vaguely apprehended public owner. This, following the democratic disposition of the times, was commonly conceived of as an elected body, a municipality, the parliamentary state, or whatnot. There were municipal socialist, nationalizing socialist, imperial socialists. In the mystic teachings of the Marxist, the collective owner was to be the dictatorship of the proletariat. Production for profit was denounced. The contemporary mind realizes the evils of production for profit and of the indiscriminate scrambling of private ownership more fully than ever before. But it has a completer realization and a certain accumulation of experience in the difficulties of organizing that larger ownership we desire. Private ownership may not be altogether evil as a provisional stage, even if it has no more in its favor than the ability to transcend political boundaries. Moreover, and here again, the democratic prepossessions of the 19th century come in. The socialist movements sought to make every single adherent a reformer and a propagandist of economic methods. In order to do so, it was necessary to simplify economic processes to the crudity of nursery toys, and the intricate interplay of will and desire in enterprise, normal employment, 
and direction in questions of ownership, wages, credit, and money was reduced to a childish fable of surplus value wickedly appropriated. The open conspiracy is not so much a socialism as a more comprehensive offspring which has eaten and assimilated whatever was digestible of its socialist forebears. It turns to biology for guidance towards the regulation of quantity and a controlled distribution of the human population of the world, and it judges all the subsidiary aspects of property and pay by the criterion of most efficient production and distribution in relation to the indications thus obtained. These economic groups, then, of the open conspiracy, which may come indeed to be a large part of the open conspiracy, will be working in that vast task of economic reconstruction, which from the point of view of the older socialism was the sole task before mankind. They will be conducting experiments and observing processes according to their opportunities. Through ad hoc societies and journals, they will be comparing and examining their methods and preparing reports and clear information for the movement at large. The whole question of money and monetary methods in our modern communities so extraordinarily disregarded in socialist literature, will be examined under the assumption that money is the token of the community's obligation, direct or indirect, to an individual and credit its permission to deal freely with material. The whole psychology of industry and industrial relationship needs to be revised and restated in terms of the collective efficiency and welfare of mankind. And just as far as can be contrived, the counsel and the confidences of those who now direct great industrial and financial operations will be invoked. The first special task of a banker, or a bank clerk for that matter, who joins the open conspiracy will be to answer the questions, what is a bank? What are you going to do about it? What have we to do about it? The first questions to a manufacturer will be, what are you making and why? And what are you and we to do about it? Instead of the crude proposals to expropriate and take over by the state, of the primitive socialism, the open conspiracy will build up an encyclopedic conception of the modern economic complex as a labyrinthine pseudo-system, progressively eliminating waste and working its way along multitudinous channels towards unity, towards clarity of purpose and method, towards abundant productivity and efficient social service. Let us come back now for a paragraph or so to the ordinary adherent to the open conspiracy, 
the adherent considered not in relation to his special aptitudes and services, but in relation to the movement as a whole and those special constructive organizations outside his own field. It will be his duty to keep his mind in touch with the progressing concepts of the scientific work so far as he is able and with the larger issues of the economic reconstruction that is afoot to take his cues from the special groups and organizations engaged upon that work and to help where he finds his opportunity and when there is a call upon him. But no adherent of the open conspiracy can remain merely and completely an ordinary adherent. There can be no pawns in the game of the open conspiracy, no cannon fodder in its war. A special activity, quite as much as a general understanding, is demanded from everyone who looks creatively towards the future of mankind. We have instanced first the fine and distinctive world organization of pure science, and then the huge massive movement towards cooperating unity of aim in the economic life, until at last the production and distribution of staple necessities is apprehended as one world business, and we have suggested that this latter movement may gradually pervade and incorporate a very great bulk of human activities. But besides this fine current and this great torrent of evolving activities and relationships, there are also a very considerable variety of other great functions in the community towards which open conspiracy groups must direct their organizing inquiries and suggestions in their common intention of ultimately assimilating all the confused processes of today into a world community. For example, there must be a series of groups in close touch at one end with biological science and at the other with the complex of economic activity who will be concerned specially with the practical administration of the biological interests of the race, from food plants and industrial products to pestilences and population. And another series of groups will gather together attention and energy to focus them upon the educational process. We have already pointed out that there is a strong disposition towards conservatism in normal educational institutions. They preserve traditions rather than develop them. They are likely to set up a considerable resistance to the reconstruction of the world outlook upon the threefold basis defined in Chapter 14. This resistance must be attacked by special societies, by the establishment of competing schools, by help and promotion for enlightened teachers, and wherever the attack is incompletely successful, it must be supplemented by the energetic diffusion of educational literature for adults upon modern lines. The forces of the entire movement 
may be mobilized in a variety of ways to bring pressure upon reactionary schools and institutions. A set of activities correlated with most of the directly creative ones will lie through existing political and administrative bodies. The political work of the open conspiracy must be conducted upon two levels and by entirely different methods. Its main political idea, its political strategy, is to weaken, efface, incorporate, or supersede existing governments. But there is also a tactical diversion of administrative powers and resources to economic and educational arrangements of a modern type. Because a country or a district is inconvenient as a division and destined to ultimate absorption in some more comprehensive and economical system of government, that is no reason why its administration should not be brought, meanwhile, into working cooperation with the development of the open conspiracy. Free trade nationalism in power is better than high-tariff nationalism, and pacifist party liberalism better than aggressive party patriotism. This evokes the anticipation of another series of groups, a group in every possible political division, whose task it will be to organize the whole strength of the open conspiracy in that division as an effective voting or agitating force. In many divisions, this might soon become a sufficiently considerable block to affect the attitudes and pledges of the national politicians. The organization of these political groups into provincial or national conferences and systems would follow hard upon their appearance. In their programs, they would be guided by meetings and discussions with the specifically economic, educational, biological, scientific, and central groups. But they would also form their own special research bodies to work out the incessant problems of transition between the old type of locally centered administration and a developing world system of political controls. In the preceding chapter, we sketched the first practicable first phase of the open conspiracy as the propaganda of a group of interlocking ideas, a propaganda associated with pacifist action. In the present chapter, we have given a scheme of branching and amplifying development. In this scheme, this scheme of the second phase, we conceive of the open conspiracy as consisting of a great multitude and variety of overlapping groups, but now all organized for collective political, social, and educational, as well as propagandist action. They will recognize each other much more clearly than they did at first, and they will have acquired a common name. The groups, however, almost all of them, will still have specific work also. Some will be organizing a sounder setting for scientific progress, some exploring 
new social and educational possibilities. Many concentrated upon this or that phase in the reorganization of the world's economic life and so forth. The individual open conspirator may belong to one or more groups, and in addition to the ad hoc societies and organizations which the movement will sustain, often in cooperation with partially sympathetic people still outside its ranks. The character of the open conspiracy will now be plainly displayed. It will have become a great world movement as widespread and evident as socialism or communism. It will have taken the place of these movements very largely. It will be more than they were. It will be, frankly, a world religion. This large, loose, assimilatory mass of movements, groups, and societies will be definitely and obviously attempting to swallow up the entire population of the world and become the new human community. End of chapter 15